Howdy, neighbors. Welcome to Legal Defense with Kirk O'Bear and John Birdsall. I'm Kirk O'Bear. I'm, I'm John Birdsall. I, I thought we were on Hee Haw. Yeah, just, that's just, just for a second. I there. was. I've. I have fond recollections of uh, <laughs> the go- golden days of Hee Haw. And well, uh, you and I are similar in age. Hee Haw was a Hee Haw was a legit fun program. Kind of a blast. Yeah, it yeah. was like it was like laughing except for country folk. Mm-hmm. Um. But you know, seriously, Buck Owens. Uh, what's what's the other dude? You know, the guy played guitar. Uh, um, yeah. Oh, oh. What yeah. is his name? <laughs> he was so great, <laughs> so good. Like a like an uh, un, underrated but very excellent yeah. guitar player. Man, that guy was awesome. Anyway, um, wow. I don't know how we started off that. <laughs> that was completely <laughs> unplanned. But uh, hey, so much going on in the world. Really? I hadn't noticed. Yeah, what, well, what, I mean... Why don't, you, why don't you take it off for us? Well, gosh, I mean, we're kind of reinventing government as we as we go. Roy Clark, by the way. Roy Clark, that's it. There we are. <coughs> that's right. We're reinventing government. <coughs> Sorry, I interrupted. Minnie Pearl, remember her? With the, oh, the, yeah. With, with the, the tag. Uh, the, 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 the price tag, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and people emulate that even today when they... You know, when I get like a new brewer's hat, I keep a little sticker on it. Yeah. In yeah. honor of Minnie Pearl. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, um... Our new president is doing all sort of things uh, to try and, well, rebuild. Well, first of all, um, I'm kind of waiting to see what the plan is for the State Department, which, as you know, was decimated right. um, over the past four years. And, you know, I, that's kind of a one of my uh, pet peeves, or peeves, rather, not even pet, uh, <laughs> that the State Department went, you know, it virtually ignored for a period of four years, and of course, there was no hiring involved. There was no there were ambassadorships. Wasn't there were, mass uh, resignations? That, oh, too? there was that. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. but firings as well, and uh, sort of a reallocation of resources away from diplomacy. And you know, it's <clears throat> if, if you're a student of history like you and I are, um, it, it's the history of our country is guided much more by the policies that are put in place by the State Department and the people with boots on the ground in other countries, much more so than presidents or senators or congressmen. Um, and importantly, that it's designed to be a sort of a bedrock of U.S. policy, including um, you know, uh, monitoring and enforcement of basic human rights all over the world. Um, expanding democracies where they can be uh, more peacefully utilized, um, but also that's the, that's the conduit with which we have uh, an ongoing relationship with every other country in the world. And you know, the the diplomat who's there um, can have much greater impact on our standing as a nation than perhaps even a president does. So the fact that it's gone virtually ignored for so long as though it's not important, um, hopefully we'll see this. It's going to be a long process because, you know, to be an actual, you know, diplomat, to be an ambassador, you know, I know that they hand these things out like they're rewards for well, the head ambassador. Yes, but there's, but a, the whole, there's a whole forest, foreign yeah. service yes. um, uh, class of professionals yes. that, you know, are deeply steeped in this region of the world, this particular country, their history, their culture, 
you know, the language, and um, uh, and and I think it's critically important. And it was I don't, it was treated with derision, really, by Trump, mm -hmm. um, and who I remember famously in an interview talking about like you know he was asked about all the losses in the state department <clears throat> he's like well I, well I, why we you know i'm just gonna make all these I, decisions. i'm the state department yeah i'm it's just me. gonna make all these decisions so what does it really matter you know <laughs> <clears throat> um well just that's just like complete detachment but, but from reality just for but, example like the staff at a big embassy like in london or something like that i mean these are people that have been in the foreign service for like 30 years you know yeah. they're steeped in the in the culture well some of, of the folks stuff. if you recall um you know colonel vidman mm -hmm. um uh there was a uh one of the, the ambassador she was in ukraine i forgot her name but um uh, they were like you know some of the people who were called as witnesses yes. in in the first impeachment hearings um who knew were, that we would be calling that the first impeachment hearing correct <laughs> well, but, but you know they were they were lifelong you know and he tried to, you know, they were like lifelong civil servants, professionals, um, and really, really, I mean, if you, if I, I listened to their testimony, it was like, they're super knowledgeable wow, about what's going I'm on. Very impressed. And then they were just attacked by these hack congressmen and the president for, 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 they they were accusing them of being hacks. And I'm like, these people are the farthest thing from hacks that you'd right. ever want to meet. I mean, we were like, we were we were blessed to have though, mm -hmm. you know, um, so I, I, you know I, I don't you know this is not really my um, area of specialty in terms of knowledge, but foreign affairs and whatnot. But uh, but I agree that you know it seems like we want to you know project at least an image, if not actual assistance, to other parts of the world because it's in our best interest, right? That's where the term allies comes from. It's kind of the thing. point. It's in our best interest. Right. You know, this actually, this is kind of a weird segue, but this I'm kind, ready. This, I've got this reminds me of something that's been brewing in my brain <laughs> uh -oh. the last few years. Okay. Okay. And it's my it's my desire to communicate to people, and I haven't fully fleshed this out how I'm gonna do this, but because I'm very distressed about racism in the United States, the history of it, its current existence, the ghettoization of black people in urban centers, and, um, you know, this this whole thing, the segregation that, that has barely been cracked, really, even though we've supposedly, you know, after Jim, supposedly Jim Crow's dead, but it's kind of not really fully dead, but, you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. you know, it's still, it's not as formalized as it used to be, but, you know, we have mass incarceration and all of this. <clears throat> and... And I was trying to come up with a pitch to tell white Americans, of which we are, you and I are yeah. also, but to say, okay, I understand there's this desire to, you know, put down this racial class to make, you know, like maybe poor whites feel better about themselves because at least they aren't black, or, you know, to... Um, uh, to control the political levers of power so that, you know, the black vote doesn't overpower this conservative vote or whatever. But but my pitch to them would be by trying to suppress these people, both physically by putting them in jail or economically or otherwise, you're, you're taking a segment of our society and you're, you're, you're hurting 
the country as a whole by not developing that at all. Correct. And 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 and, and you're you're treating a, it like a cancer that you're trying to cut out. Right. And 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 in fact, it's a huge boon to the country to have all these people if if they were treated equally and if they were educated equally and if they had equal truly equal opportunity you know we'd be even more successful than we already are right that's my that's that's the well, overarching it, pitch and, and it's and it kind of it kind of goes like that it kind of, that's how it relates back to what you were talking about with the state department and maybe you know undeveloped countries right right you know and maybe that sounds a little paternalistic in a sense but it's you mean reality. like sending out, sending all the black people to Liberia, something like that? <laughs> no, um, you're right. And one thing that we need to remember that it's we need to embrace the fact that we can do better as an opportunity because our one of the things that makes us uniquely American is the fact that we have a, a considerable population of black people that are descendants from slaves that uh, was part of our country's dark history, you know? Yeah. And the fact that... That is conveniently forgotten by a lot of people. Oh, sure, sure. Um, but, you know, our country was founded on being better than that. I mean, you know, it, it, it's very inception, the, the old white men with white wigs. Um, <laughs> which, yeah. Well, that's what we're saying now instead of founding fathers. Right? <laughs> men with white wigs. Um, you know, at least in terms of the enduring principles of what makes this nation different than all other monarchies, dictatorships, autocracies, um, etc., is that it's it's a quasi egalitarian principle. But and I say quasi because it's not purely egalitarian, right? Right. Right. Um, but at the same time, this is something that we perpetually uh, have maintained that we value the ability to own your own freedom. I mean, that's something that is the spirit of all laws. And it's really the thing that motivates me more than anything else for the job that you and I do. Yeah. And I think on that point, the um, one of the <clears throat> clear breaks in world history that the, that the American Revolution brought about was um, that our leaders um, were not going to be uh, familial. It wasn't going to be just a family line. Right. It was going to be something else. I know we got to take a break, but let's talk about Trump's taxes when we get back. Oh, yeah, great. We are back. And, um, uh, you know, we should probably have Roy Clark um, do the intro for each one of our segments. That would be think? nice. Yeah, he's dead. Well, <laughs> I understand that, but we, we can get... Oh, like a recording. Yeah, I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You've heard of recording. It's it's a modern thing. It that's started, a little easier. It than started that. a while back, a couple hundred years ago. Yeah, that's so. kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. I got um, you. <laughs> anyways, uh, so let's talk about... Let's talk some Trump taxes. Can I, can I just do a little intro to that topic? Yeah, sure. I, I think you might recall this from the glory days of when... Remember when comedy used to be something that you listened to on a record? Uh-huh. Sure. Um, of course. One of my favorites was the Steve Martin records. Remember? Uh, oh, yeah. Wild and Crazy Guy. Wild and Crazy Guy. And then yeah. his second album was called Comedy is Not Pretty. Yeah. And it had Fantastic. him, had him dressed up like a woman, and it was not pretty. Yeah. Um, but one of the bits on he, that He was record, a master class, by the way, which is very good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. On comedy. Comedy yes. writing. Yeah. Gotcha. Um 
there was a bit that he did. <clears throat> Very quick. I'll just I'll just recreate it here for the audience. Oh my God! He said, uh, "So excited! You can be a millionaire. Oh yeah, and never pay taxes. I know the punchline." <laughs> he goes, "Yes, you can be a millionaire and never pay taxes. I'm going to tell you how. First, get a million dollars. Now, second, when the tax man comes knocking on the door and says you have never paid taxes." <laughs> You say two simple words. Two simple words in the English language that we often neglect to use in, at the appropriate time. I forgot. <laughs> oh. Anyway, so go ahead. Yes. Actually, in his master class, that, was, that, that clip was actually part of it. So it was very funny. Um, well, as you know, this has been a, uh, quite a uh, chase to get at his taxes, um, well, I guess we can go back to really the 2016 campaign where where people kept asking him, and he was like, well, I just, uh, I'm not going to imitate Trump, but. No. Um, <laughs> uh, he was under audit. He was under audit, and I, I'm not going to release him, and that sort of thing. So, um, and, and he pointed out that, you know, nobody really cares about that. Well, I think a lot of his report, I th for his supporters, I think that's true. I don't think they do care about it, um, but uh, uh, everybody else seems to care about it, like me <laughs> and every other well, American that you know, that let's is interested. Well, we want here's the, here's the reason why it isn't just morbid curiosity. It isn't because we're trying to take Trump down. It isn't because of any of that. It's because I think that, and I'm sure you agree with this, that every president, and I think any. Any significant leader should be very transparent about what their financial situation is. Well, it's not written in law. It's not. I'm just saying. I think that that should be that should be something. And in fact, I know there's well, yeah, bills. There being, should be an honorable. Bills. There should be an honorable transition of power, also. But that's true. You know, it's well, not written in law. You know, one of the bonuses I think for educating Americans about the law was the Trump presidency, in the sense that. People were shocked, shocked even, <laughs> to find out that many, many, many things that either a president does or even Congress, for example, um, that that it's not law, it's custom. It's you know just it's just sort of the way we do things, like this you know the inauguration, for example, or or um, you know any number of things that uh, that a president does that. That, that is just sort of like expected of a leader, right. whether it's an optic thing or whatever, whatever. you know. Yeah. But um, uh, and so people were fought, you know, got to find out that none of that, you know, president, every other president did that. Well, this one doesn't want to. OK, well, you know, um, he doesn't have to. Because it's not, as you say, it's not the law. Well, it's not the law that you have to disclose your taxes. And I think there should be. I think there should be some law that says, I know there's financial disclosure statements that the candidates fill out, but they're very lame. Mm -hmm. They really are. They're kind of like, they're big ranges of numbers. Well, it's on the honor system. There's no there's, consequence there's for no. lying on the financial disclosure <laughs> statement, right? So I think there should be some um, requirement for disclosure of taxes, you know, of, of I, I think of all candidates mm -hmm. for um, elected office, really. Well, like, and, I'm, and I'm talking about the president. I'm talking about senators, uh, members of Congress, governors, members of state legislatures. Mm -hmm. I don't see why we wouldn't do that. Right. 
you know? Because there's, I mean, history is replete with examples of, of people glad-handing themselves with, you know, corporate giveaways and whatever. Oh, and, it's it's you the, know, the I most mean, disgusting thing about it's politics. Still, it's yeah. still going on. Yeah. In fact, several of them were just pardoned. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and that's always going to go on. But at least this way, we can have a requirement that you know that you have to, if you want to run for office and you want to have that position of power, that you have to disclose this. And I don't see why anybody would have a problem with it. I don't either. But, you know, another aspect of that that you know, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second, just because um, wouldn't that be a potential impediment to, I mean, aren't we adding an additional, you know, quasi perhaps unconstitutional requirement to hold office. I mean, it, not, not to say that there's anything about that disclosure that would disqualify someone. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I see what you're saying. You're saying uh, if that's a requirement to I mean, you got to be run, 42, born in the U.S. or whatever, you know, or 35. Guess, yeah, 35. 35 and born in the U.S., um, which actually raises an interesting question because several parts of the planet are not technically within the territorial boundaries of the United States. Like, uh, for example, embassies. Right. So if you're born in military embassy, bases, if you're born military bases, if you're born in an embassy or a military base, you're still an American citizen. You can run for president. Yeah. So, so that whole born in the USA thing mm. is really kind of um, a legal construct ever, that we've speaking just, of which, that we just sort of made the up. The Bruce Springsteen song. Have yeah. you ever listened like to the words? Oh yeah, it's about Vietnam. I know. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's, it's about how lousy right. Vietnam vets were treated when they got back. Right. Yeah. I didn't know that when I was in high school. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Talk about being born. I in actually America. did know that, <laughs> and um, and I remember that uh, Ronald Reagan tried to use that as one of his campaign things. It came out in 1984 when he was running, and he used it at some campaign events, and Springsteen shut him down. And he mm -hmm. said, you know, listen to the lyrics. Wasn't there also the Little Pink Houses controversy, too, for John Mellencamp? Oh, I, I, think I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I love that song. But, yeah, yeah um, but I think that was part of it, too. Yeah, but, you know, I, here's, here's the thing is, like, the, the whole idea of running for office is, like, everything should be an open book. Mm-hmm. You know, which frankly, that's one of the reasons that I don't like the idea of me personally ever like running for office or oh, being yeah. a public official. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, you know, when I, when I'm done with my work, I want to go back and have a little privacy, yeah. you know, but I, you know, I think you're right. And, um, it's a, it's a somewhat a delicate subject, but I think that, you know, I, it reminds me of a debate I had with a coworker way back in the eighties. And this was when... Oh, goodness. Um, I think it was... Um, I can't remember. I can't remember what, what the topic was. But the somebody that was running... I think it was Clinton, actually. So it would have been the 90s, rather. Um, and the concept of somebody who tried marijuana once but didn't inhale, you know, is that is that something that should matter? You know, to, yeah, it was Clinton. It was yeah, Clinton, right. Yeah. Um, and... I said, Why, who cares? What does that have to do with anything? And the person I was debating with is that, well, if you're going to be president, you should be, you know, the 
prime example of the perfect citizen. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, <laughs> that's, not, a, that's a little grandiose uh, vision of yeah, what a leader I mean, it's, is supposed it's to not, be. It's not like there's a panel of people that, you know, <clears throat> awards a gold medal to, like, the best qualified person. It's a vote. It's an election, you know. You can vote for Mickey Mouse if you want to, you know. It's part of what... And that's an interesting comment that that person made because our leaders are human beings, right? Yeah. And so we want them to be human which, beings. Yes, yeah. rather than robots, right? <laughs> I suppose. I don't know if that's the only alternative. But, um, you know, they're human beings. And so human beings are messy and complicated. And um, they've, they've made mistakes in their past. And they've, you know, and, um, and as a defense lawyer, I am a firm believer I always have been, always will be in not just second chances, but maybe third, fourth and fifth chances mm -hmm. of, you know, reforming your life or like coming back from a mistake. And so if uh, and so even if you're and I realize there's a standard, there's certain levels that we got to we're just going to have to agree with. But for example, President Clinton, mm -hmm. oh, wait, hold that thought. Because yeah. we're going to have oh, to take a break. Yeah, we'll pick this up when we come back. All right, so your last words were President, President Clinton. Clinton. That's what we'll start with when we come back. <laughs> That's All a right. teaser. Welcome back, y'all. Um, we were just about to... Still need that Roy Clark music, man. Yep. Okay. <laughs> uh, or we can have Steve Martin, as you brought up earlier, because he is a banjo he's a, aficionado. He's a great banjo player. That's true. Um but uh, yes, well, no, we were talking about William Jefferson, William Jefferson Clinton. Clinton. Oh, just a little story before you get into yeah. your, the meat of the matter, so yeah. to speak. Um, you're a fan of Key and Peele, right? Oh, my gosh. I love Key and Peele. Absolutely. Do you remember the shtick they did about Ancestry.com? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you know, the thing that reminded me I of that is... I also remember the slave trading one, but... That's, yeah, that's awful. But uh, so it, it seems like a totally legit Ancestry.com commercial. And it starts with this woman, and she's saying, I, I joined Ancestry.com, and I found out, unbeknownst to me, I'm related to a, a nurse that was on the front lines in World War I. And, and then it's, another, then it's a, a, a man, and he goes, I did my Ancestry.com and found out that I'm a distant relative of the first governor of Georgia. And then it's a black guy. And he goes, I joined Ancestry.com and I learned that I'm a direct descendant of Thomas Jefferson. And then, then it has like some other white people. And then it comes back to another black person and he says, and then they go, Thomas Jefferson. And so they have like five different black people that did Ancestry.com and figured out that they're related to Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> so anyway. Um, well, you know, it's not far from the truth, actually. I know. I know. Anyway, I, I brought that up because uh, President Clinton's middle name is Jefferson. <laughs> um, yeah, so we were talking about, um, you know, transparency in public office and um, disclosing your taxes. And you had brought up some conversation. You had somebody that said, that's that person, the person, the president's supposed to be this perfect Pinnacle. person and this paragon of virtue and this uh, model for all citizens. And, and of course, that would be wonderful, you know, if that was ever going to be the case. Um, but even the ones we revere the most, Washington, Lincoln, Roosevelt, you know, I mean, 
in their day, mm -hmm. they had like serious detractors. And of course, oh, yeah. um, you know, Washington had 146 slaves. So, um, you know, I, I, I mean, everybody's got, you know, a downside mm -hmm. to them. And George, so, Bush, and George Bush did cocaine, remember? Yeah. And so, w. for example, you know, we were talking about Clinton and he gets impeached for this, for lying about this affair that he has with an intern. Okay. It was ridiculous and stupid and he obviously couldn't control himself. Um, but that is not impeachable, in my opinion. That is like, that is, that is something that is, you know, dishonorable and it's, you know, but it was very clearly something that was just, um, you know, a political vendetta, I mm -hmm. guess, really. Well, I can say this. Uh, it was impeachable back then, but it ain't no more. <laughs> well, yes. And I guess what's impeachable is in the eye of the beholder, right? Right. right. Um, and, uh, yeah, we really raised the stakes on what's impeachable, <laughs> haven't we? Yeah. If it came down to telling a lie or having an affair, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Versus storming the Capitol. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, So, yeah. that you know, that actually raises an interesting issue that I think a lot of people um, don't really appreciate about the law. And we've talked about this before, but, and that is that the Constitution, statutes, cases are all written in what often can be termed vague terms. Yep. I mean, on the, purpose. The, the, yes, on purpose. And and the <laughs> to give us flexibility and discretion and all of that. And and that sounds great in theory, but a lot of people have a vision of um, you know what the law is, and the law is this very rigid thing, and it's like it's like black and white and it's like the very even dividing lines now well you know there might be a little black here a little white over here but there's mostly gray in the middle mm -hmm. to be honest right and words like reasonableness or you know discretion or you know you can, there's, there's like 50 of them but th those the you know what what words mean is well, very malleable. I love, it's I love the way that us lawyers and many judges um, attach special meaning to words that the legislators probably had no clue that they were um, implying. The biggest one, you know what I'm going to say here. Uh, it, let's say I was, uh, you know, let's say after the show, you um, you leave the office, and I say, John, I shall see you later. Okay, do you think that means that I'm making a binding promise that is ironclad because I used the word shall? shall. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you write a law that uses that word, that's how it's interpreted. It's, oh, you it better a, believe it. It is a non-discretionary, uh, you know, directive, you know, unless, unless it's uh, something that favors the defense, then, you know, never mind. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. So, uh, you know, speaking of that, there was a very interesting study done by a um, friend of ours, um, Michael Sassini, <clears throat> who's an attorney in Kenosha, I think. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he's also a bit of an academic, and he wrote an article about the use of Daubert in Wisconsin. Yeah, back up and tell people what Daubert uh, is. That's exactly what I was way ahead of you, by the right, right. I'm not going to let him hang. I'm not going to police your so thoughts. So Daubert, Daubert 
is uh, named after a 1993 U.S. Supreme Court case that put into place safeguards against junk science coming into courtrooms, which is was kind of an epidemic both in criminal and civil cases. More so in civil cases. More so in civil cases, yeah. actually. So, you know, uh, a lot of... Um, lawyers would hire these quote-unquote experts who would opine on things as as you know just like silly things that uh, that would that had no real foundation in science uh, to prove their case to a jury and the Supreme Court stepped in and says all right you have to have sufficient facts and data to actually support this opinion you have to it has to be reliable and the person has to be qualified and you have to apply to the facts of the case. Well, Wisconsin was late to the game, and we didn't apply this in our state um, law until 2010. Uh, so, by the way, do you remember what we used to call the rule before that? In not in legal parlance, but uh, remember Jim Shello had this phrase that he used to use all the time. He goes, "In Wisconsin, we have the Cole Porter rule," <laughs> because, as you probably know, uh, Cole Porter wrote the song "Anything Goes." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty much true. Actually, it was technically it was called a relevancy test. Oh yeah, but you know, you I know, know, I know, I know, I know. I know. I'm just explaining to the folks. So there was a, we had a relevancy test. So if if it would if it tended to support the proposition that you were proposing, then it Good got enough. admitted. All right. So things like you know um, uh, hair matching, uh, tool mark matching, um, things that are just like. Complete guesswork. Bite marks, you know. Finger finger fingerprints are horribly unreliable and yet are still used. But anyway, die marks. Yes, <laughs> and so you know, even ballistics is 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 a highly highly questionable uh, quote unquote science. Anyway, so when this came in, we in the defense bar felt like this was going to be helpful to us to keep out some of said things that are used to convict people of crimes. And indeed, um, we had cause to be hopeful because um, if you look at the statute itself, it would appear that our challenges should be spot on and we should be able to exclude all this stuff Spoiler alert, didn't happen, okay? So Mike Sassini sifted through all of the reported cases that dealt with this issue for the last 10 years. It's 144 of them. And, um, and I'm going to ask you to guess how many of those challenges the state won and how many the defense won. Um, out of 144? Correct. I'm going to say about 140 were won by the state. Um, it was actually 144 to zero no. for the state. <laughs> so, so this goes back to what we were talking about and how we're interpreting things. Because in some of the cases, and I read his article and I looked up some of the cases that he cited in it, and in some of the cases, the court is like um, playing games with words. Yes about, you know, well, you know, uh, this isn't even expert testimony. Oh, this right. Is lay this is lay testimony. It just takes it out of the doubt. Yeah, like, for completely. example, for example, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, well, we're just about out of yeah, time. We, okay, we we'll, we'll pick this up because this is an interesting conversation. Yep. Okay, Remember that when we come back. Got Don't it. lose track. Okay, I got we'll it. Be right back.
Welcome back. Uh, hope you enjoyed that little break, the interlude. Yes. <laughs> we should have musical interludes. <laughs> well, when we, uh, when we put the show up on Mixcloud, I do put little musical yeah. interludes. Usually it's like goofy cocktail jazz, you know. Like, Somehow that fits you. It does. It's yeah. just part of my uh, yeah, charm. aura. Yeah, charm. Yeah. So, so we were talking about Daubert and um, how junk science has infiltrated um, over the many decades uh, into the criminal justice system and resulted in really many, many, many wrongful convictions, some of which we only know about because of DNA exonerations. But um, I, we, you know, we were talking about how the, the, the Wisconsin courts have interpreted Daubert which should be a slam dunk for the defense to keep some of this stuff out. And yet, across the board, the state has won every single challenge to any of these. Mm. And what's more, when the defense tries to bring its own experts in, oftentimes they are excluded because of the rigorous Daubert challenges. Yeah. And so, it, you know, this goes, every time I think about how appellate courts deal with things like this in quote-unquote interpretation of the law and it's really a severe like bias that they're showing and I think back to John Roberts confirmation hearing you know what I'm talking oh, about oh yeah balls right? and strikes <laughs> judges just call balls and strikes we're just empire umpires and um empires <laughs> we're just umpires <laughs> we're just umpires in our own empire and um uh and that's just nonsense mm -hmm. and he knows better of course you know it's a, it's a, it sounds nice it sounds nice it's a catchy thing for a senate confirmation hearing but it's deeply deeply misleading mm -hmm. um, about what we're really dealing with here you know you know one of the justices of our supreme court that um i thought ran the most honest campaign I've ever seen was Rebecca Dallet. Yes. Who, um, in the face of her opponent, who is mimicking some talking points some you know, uh, stage manager gave him about, well, when I'm a judge, I am just going to put on my judge hat and I exclude everything else I've ever done in my life, including all my religious beliefs and all my political beliefs, and I will just apply the facts to the law, right? This is what everybody's expected to say, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's complete nonsense right. because we're human beings. Brains don't work like that. Yeah. Conscious brains don't work like that. Unconscious brains don't work like that. Implicit, you know, your subconscious brain does not work like that, okay? Your values, your worldviews, your political leanings, your, your um, education, everything that you've done to be a human being is going to impact how you interpret those words like Daubert standard, for example, sure, sure. you know, just one of a thousand different examples we could throw out, right. you know, and um, it's it's a it's a difficult process well, to write statutes that are going to um, not allow that to happen and yet still be flexible enough to work. Mike Cicini is kind of the um, epitome of a law nerd that uh, <laughs> and I mean that in a good way. Oh, that's course. a very that's a, definitely a compliment. Yes. And uh I mean, I don't know that he does much, you know, trial work necessarily, but he spends a lot of time with these really kind of um, gargantuan research projects that he did. I mean, I know you're familiar with his work on the jury instruction. Yeah, absolutely. 
but pet, incredibly pet intelligent guy. What's that? A pet peeve of mine. Yes, of course. But, you know, I think that this isn't, it's not just how Daubert uh, has <laughs> had the reverse effect of what it was intended to do, that is the point of the article, but on a bigger, larger scale, I think he's hitting on exactly what you're talking about, which is where there is room for um, interpretation and uh, where bias has to come into play in order to make a judgment call, right? It has to come from, as you said, who you are, where you've been, what you believe, and everything else influences that. And implicit bias, of course, is almost impossible to recognize in yourself. Sounds like a Jerry Spence lecture that I've heard once <laughs> where he taught. Uh, you ever hear that where he talks about um, he was representing um, a black guy and he said and he talked about in voir dire about, you know, if you have uh, racism in your heart, raise your hand and he raises his own. And he says, now, it's not easy for me to talk about, but I'm going to be honest with you. And I don't mean that I um, hate black people. I don't mean that I have uh, a view that is uh, where I want to see them not succeed. What I mean is I recognize that I have feelings that come from who knows where. You know, it's all part of... Uh, they infiltrated who, my mind right. to you know, just from by osmosis in society. Right. You know? Right. And it could be anything. I mean, if, uh, you know, if someone had to say, and what he talks about is, you know, I don't know why, I, I don't fully understand it, but I recognize it. You know? You know, and I, and I actually talked to Jerry Spence about this um, because I attended his trial lawyer's college on his ranch in Wyoming, which no longer exists, unfortunately, but yeah. um, uh, he, uh, did a great thing by starting that and teaching lawyers about exactly that so that they could recognize in themselves the exact flaws that caused all these problems in the system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, one of his great mantras really is it, it all begins with you. And that is that you need to understand yourself to be able to understand the judge or the plot, the police or the prosecutor or your client or the jurors, you know, because we're all just human beings in this system and we've, we've attached names to ourselves, you know, I'm a judge, you know, and here's another person, I'm a police officer, here's another person, I am the district attorney, you know, yep. and, and, you know, and then, oh, I'm a juror. And, and so, but we're all still, you know, we just, we just, we're just, it's like a fiction yeah. that we create and, and suddenly, you know, and so police aren't really human beings. They're these robotic truth sayers who are, you know, shiny badges and they only see what's good and, and, and they fight all evil. And the judges are like completely dispassionate. They have no emotions whatsoever. And because, they, you know, this is the fiction. I'm describing the fiction here, folks. <laughs> oh, I've got a good you one know? for you. You just remind me of, you know, in terms of labels and things like that. Yeah. I had a case, and this was years ago. Um, of course, now we throw around the word victim like it's somewhat meaningless. You know, <laughs> pre-conviction, pre we start, you know, yeah. we're not supposed to. We're supposed to say alleged victim, right? Yeah. Right. Well, I had a case 
oh, I got to say it was 10 years or more ago. And the prosecutor filed a motion to prevent me from calling my client by his name during the trial. Like by his first name or last name or? Either one. He wanted me to refer to him as the defendant. Oh. And his rationale for it was that he's going to be required to call his victim, his exact words, the alleged victim. So if there's a label on the alleged victim, there should be a label on the defendant. Well, it got shot down. But, I mean, what a ludicrous thing to ask for. Judge, I don't think it's fair that I have to say alleged victim. He should say defendant instead of the guy's name. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I had a very interesting conversation along the victim lines here with a judge recently. Um, and this judge told me that um, quite often in um, his or her court, his or her court, uh, there's requests to not use the term victim until there's a conviction. And the response that was given was that, well, it's statutory, it's a statutory definition, and now it's a constitutional definition because we have Marcy's Law in Wisconsin. And, um, and that even though this was a very progressive judge, uh, the, the, that they were gonna allow it. And, and um, I was a little dismayed at that yeah. uh, because it seems like you know, some of the protections that were instituted to keep the government at bay, whether it's the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Sixth Amendment, even the Eighth, even the First, I guess, um, is, 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 is being viewed in a very different modern 21st century lens. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's very unfortunate. Uh, you know, in a sense, I love originalism to say, well, what were these guys really worried about in 1787? or before, uh, what were they really worried about? Well, they were really worried about, <laughs> about, about all, you know, giving too much power to governmental forces, right. you know? We gotta wrap it up, my friend. Okay. Uh, that's been a it's pleasure. Too bad. There's so much more to go. Oh, I know, we'll, we'll continue the fascination well, then with we'll, our yeah. strange brains next week. Um, <laughs> so tune in as you can every week, right here on 1330 and 101.5. WHBL, this has been Legal Defense with Kirk and John. Have a great weekend. Have a great one.